Hi, I'm here with William Martin, William J. Martin AIA, or I'm going to call him Bill, not because he's not Prince William, his wife said, but I do. <laughs> I am no prince. You're no prince. That's My not wife true. reminds me every day. Oh, that's not true. <laughs> Bill Martin grew up in northern New Jersey, just outside New York City. He attended Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, where he studied architecture and for a time, managerial economics. Oh, he then returned to the New York area and completed his study of architecture at Pratt, uh, Pratt Institute in New York City, receiving his degree in 1988. Bill is licensed in five states as an architect and is also a licensed professional community planner in New Jersey. He is also a licensed New York construction official and building inspector. Uh, with over 38 years in this field, Bill has been in private practice for 29 years. He has been um, involved in the design of many building types, from consulting on hospital projects to designing um, office warehouse distribution centers, malls, and shopping centers. Bill now focuses on historic preservation and high-performance single-family home configuration with integration of sustainable and resilient features. His projects are sustainable both economically and environmentally. Bill is a certified LEED AP home design professional and was the recipient of a 2011 AIA New Jersey Committee on the Environment Top 10 Project Merit Award. Bill is currently co-chairman of the AIA New Jersey Public Awareness Committee and engages uh, frequently with the press and on social media. Bill has been on Fox News, CNBC, and MSNBC discussing preservation issues, trends in design and sustainability, which I think I've seen some of those. Ah, uh, I think you've posted them on Facebook before. Have you not? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. So we'll, we can, I'm sure, do you have them on your website? I have links to my website. I think all okay. the links are still active. Some of okay. them, some of those interviews are a little old now. Okay. Uh, but I, I've also, I've been on various TV shows over the years. Mm -hmm. The Today Show, I was interviewed by somebody from the Today Show. I, I, I kind of lost track of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what are your first recollections of experiencing architecture? The first time I remember becoming aware of architecture was when I was six years old. I grew up uh, in Closter, New Jersey, which is a small town in Bergen County, right off near New York City, and in uh, a split-level home. And my father was an aircraft mechanic that worked at JFK. He was absolutely brilliant with machinery, not so great with carpentry. He, uh, and, carpentry? He loved, <laughs> yeah, and he loved to do everything himself. I mean, he could fix yes. a 747 yeah. with a toothpick. But when it came to carpentry, it, it just wasn't, wasn't great. So, but I was six years old. What did I know? Um, so he comes home one day with my uh, grandfather's sawzall, and he says, I'm going to take the archway out between the dining room and the living room. That's not a big house, you know? So they wanted the ceiling to run straight through. So I'm a kid, and he, you know, he says, oh, you're going to help me. I'm going to be the helper. So I'm looking at this stuff, and I'm watching him. He goes, zip up one side of the archway with the sawzall all the way to the ceiling, and then goes to the other side. He drops the archway. <laughs> and the archway was there because there was a supporting beam. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally serious. So 
the beam drops and he's patching away. You know, wood framing is forgiving. At first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes things are just sticking together yeah. by, yeah. yeah. So my mother walks in and says, by well, paint. <laughs> the ceiling is sagging, you know. And sure enough, it was. He dropped the main beam. And uh, so what he did was he ended up going up into the attic space above. There was a roof area above that. And that's why it was uh -huh. so forgiving. It didn't fall in. Yeah. Um, and he, he trussed up the rafters to the ceiling joists to support that connection point between the two ceiling joists. But he trussed it up in the wrong direction. <laughs> I didn't know this until later on when I became an architect. And I said, Go up and see the, the trust work. He just he trusted in the wrong direction, uh, but it it managed to hold together anyway. But uh -huh. at six years old, it, this fascinated me because it was the first time that I realized that there was stuff inside the walls. I, prior to that, my perception of of space and walls and houses was that the walls were like super thin and there was nothing in there. Uh -huh. You know, but once he cut through and I could see what was going on inside, I was absolutely fascinated by this, and. Um, I retained that interest for, for a long time. And then I, you know, as I grew up with Legos and all this other stuff, yeah, uh, I had always thought that I might want to be an architect someday from the time I was six years old because of that incident. Mm -hmm. But oh, it yeah. was, yeah. it still amuses me now to tell that story. And it's a true story. Um, but my father was absolutely brilliant with machinery. He had all kinds of security clearances. He worked on, all these the airplanes for all world leaders when they came into JFK yeah. for conferences. Yeah. And yeah. uh, he I mean he would walk on the planes and there would be politicians and movie stars and all kinds of stuff. Um and he used to tell us about uh, some of that. But um, mm -hmm. brilliant with machinery but really bad with framing and wood uh, carpentry and <laughs> things like that. <laughs> we yeah. have a friend that's actually an airplane mechanic for uh Southwest and uh, okay. I, didn't, I didn't say that I didn't say that yesterday when Jeff and I were talking about um, the Southwest because he's doing the build the brand thing and it's based on Southwest but um, wow. yeah he's I mean he's been an aircraft you know an aircraft mechanic for other um, for other companies too but uh, you know he's been with Southwest for probably I don't know maybe over 20 years now but um yeah, it's always funny when when we like you know people will meet him and and you know he's he's not the happiest person and we'll always say like oh, oh, what do you what do you think he does and people are like oh I don't know what he does and I'm like oh he's a jet mechanic and and they're like oh he's like oh my god <laughs> you know <laughs> think but, about that uh, next time you're sitting on the runway <laughs> I know but I mean I mean I have total confidence i have total confidence that he because he is you know because he is very much into you know i mean he definitely knows what's going on with everything but it's just it's just They're funny highly trained yes exactly yeah yeah um and they go to jet school once a year to learn the new technology and the changes yeah oh yeah yeah um, yeah a lot of stuff that they had to know yeah yeah and i mean um i think a lot of people uh you know, especially if we grew up in like um, an area where we had older houses. I mean, Marilyn and I are kind of laughing about all these, you know, these houses that that people live. I mean, it it is almost when when um when you lived in a house where you did have these parents that were kind of doing these projects all the time, which of course is an old house, right? I mean, my house is like 1953, but things are still falling apart because 1953 now is a really old house. Um, not as old as the one that I grew up in 
in Dormont, I mean, that one was really old, but that was the one where the plaster ceilings, you know, would start to fall down, right? And right, then as right. they, as, when it falls down on the second floor, then it eventually falls down on the first floor also. But, you know, the house was big enough that we would just shut off that room and we just wouldn't go into it. And then finally, you know, when my father was like able to fix it or whatever, then, right. then we could move back into that room again, which might be, which might be good for like the situation that we're in now, as far as like those traditional spaces and sliding doors, old sliding doors and, you know, blocking off certain areas, you know, and then opening them up again. But for, um, so, um, uh, what are three classic buildings that you like and why? Okay. The, um, this is a good question. <laughs> Thank you. It really is. Um, I have three, in three constructions in particular that I was always fascinated with, especially when I started to study architectural history. The first one is the Red Pyramid in Egypt, which is not part of the uh, Giza Plateau. Okay. The second one, of course, is the Parthenon okay. uh, in Athens. And, um, and the last is the Empire State Building, and for, for different reasons. The Red Pyramid fascinated me because it was the first true pyramid that the Egyptians were able to construct. Okay. And it preceded the, the Giza pyramids. And part of the problem the Egyptians were having was that as they were building these pyramids, they were, they were having problems. They would, sometimes they would collapse because of the weight and because of the lack of proper foundations. So as their understanding of pyramids advanced, they started to do things like, you know, they're building multiple pyramids and one of them collapses because they, you know, there's something wrong with the engineering of what they're doing. Uh, and that's when you see things like the bent pyramid where it comes up steep and then it shallows out because they recognize that if they kept going at that angle, it was going to collapse like the other ones. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. But the, the reason why the red pyramid fascinated me was because it, it, it made me realize that the Egyptians were in fact building models and were testing new engineering ideas. And, you know, that was never really made clear in the uh, history. You're studying architecture, you study, yeah, the form, yeah. you study a little bit yeah. about society because it's the architecture's reflection of the society. Mm -hmm. But it made me realize that because the angle of the red pyramid is 43 and a half degrees. So if you take sand, which there's plenty of sand in Egypt, a lot of people don't know that. <laughs> And you pour it, like going through an hourglass, into a yeah. single point, it forms a cone. And just under its own weight and its own pressure, uh, uh, you know, and the, uh, the crystals of sand are like tiny blocks of stone, uh -huh. it forms a cone with an angle of 43 and a half degrees. So they must have modeled that, realized that that was the optimum angle to prevent a pyramid from collapsing, and then they constructed the Red Pyramid. The Red Pyramid has chambers inside of it too, uh -huh. just like the Giza Plateau Pyramids. Uh -huh. So that always fascinated me because that's where you, you start to see them realizing that there's a tension between the limitation of the stone, the materials and their building techniques mm -hmm. and nature. Yes. So they, they achieved yeah. the balance. And I love to discover the balance between the various aspects of, of building design. So that yeah. fascinated me. I, if, if I have not been to Egypt, when I do go, if I go, I want to see that pyramid. Yeah. The other pyramid 
I've seen all over the place. Of course, yeah. I've seen those too. But yeah. the Red Pyramid is, is incredibly fascinating for that reason. It shows that uh, for the first time, I could, actually, I could actually imagine them modeling this and then using the data collected from the modeling to create the first pyramid and then building on advances in technology and how they yeah. were able to layer the stones to create the Giza pyramids. They were able yeah. to layer them and angle them and they knew the correct angles because they must have been creating models. Yes. There's no other way to explain it. So that always yeah. fascinated me. And of course the Egyptian culture is fascinating because they had such, um, they had such an economic surplus. They were able to produce these enormous uh, architectural works, uh, you know, the Karnak temples and, and some of the, the other uh, architecture. Uh, these things took enormous effort and, and were very expensive in terms of the uh, you know, capital that was expended at that time. Mm -hmm. So that would not have been possible outside of um, being a successful agrarian society because of the flooding of the Nile River and they had abundant harvests, which allowed them to feed workers that could then build these great works. And, that's, and you see the time after uh, time and time again, you see it also in China with the Great Wall, that if they didn't have uh, an economic surplus due to their uh, advanced agricultural techniques, they would never have been able to build these things. You know, people tend to, architects do this too, they tend to think of past societies as being primitive. But the, uh, the Chinese that, that, that built the, the wall and, and the Egyptians that built those uh, really advanced buildings, mm -hmm. No, these were not primitive societies at all. These were very advanced societies with advanced techniques that allowed them to produce an economic surplus that gave them the ability to create these beautiful works of architecture. So that's why the Red Pyramid uh, always was a fascination of mine when I got into college and I realized, uh, you know, what it really represented. So that was fascinating. Yeah, yeah, and that's really fascinating. The next one is the... the the Parthenon, the Parthenon. Yeah. Athens, and of course the ancient Greeks were were because um, they, they their philosophies from the basis of Western society. Uh, you know, the, people don't tend to think of them as primitive. They tend to think of them kind of walking around in robes and, and, and being very philosophical about things. But um, if they didn't have an economic surplus uh, due to the way they were had organized their society, mm -hmm. there would have been issues there too. But they were able to build the Parthenon. Uh, essentially as a tribute to uh, Athena. Mm -hmm. And uh, what fascinates me about that is the, the mathematics that they developed in order to create such a work. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the golden section, the golden mean, it's the, you know, the square root of five plus one divided by two to create mm -hmm. that proportion that they felt was reflected in nature as being beautiful. I can argue that with them now i would love to go back in time and have that discussion um uh, but they recognized this they knew that the golden mean was not a perfect form because they um they also when they created the parthenon they actually curved the tablature yes in yes. order to counteract the effect of the curvature of the human eye yes so the fact that they recognized that they needed to compensate in the form for the curvature of the human eye mm -hmm. tells me that even then they knew that there was no real perfection in the mathematics that they were using. 
I mean, it was it's perfect in the sense that everything adds up and it's all nice and neat. And, you know, it's yeah. like a fun geometry project when you're in high school uh, for them. Uh, but the, uh, the curvature portions of that building always fascinated me because mm -hmm. in a way it's an admission that this is not perfection. That you, yes. the mathematics that's created is not really perfect. It's fascinating. I have my own mathematics that I use proportionally in the, in the uh, houses and in the buildings that I work on, mm -hmm. which differs from theirs. Uh, but I was absolutely fascinated by, by kind of reading between the lines and, you know, where perfect was not perfect, we have to fix mm -hmm. it. We have to cheat it. It's almost like a cheat to do that. I was fascinated uh, by that in the mathematical proportions. And then the last building that always... I've been, I've been to the Parthenon. I went there in uh, I, I went there when I, when I studied in Denmark. We went to Greece at one point. It's, it's fascinating. I have not been... I, I have not... I'm not a big traveler. I have not been a big traveler in my life, and I hope to do that. But one of the things I want to do is I want to lay down on the floor in there, and I want to see the curvature. Well, when you were there, you couldn't you couldn't walk up that far. I don't. I think they've they done it, do it, and I think you 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 weren't even no. I no. I have a. I'll I'll post it for this. I'll post a photo of me like when I was in college, and I was. But I'm pretty much, I'm pretty much as close as you could get to it, which I'm pretty far away from it. I mean, you weren't allowed to like go kind of explore. But if you go to a lot of these other. Um, ruins that are on the islands and other places you can you know you can walk around them and and um, See, i'm a very tactile yeah. architect yes so so i mean that was like one of the where you can take out you know we took out you know the typical typical college kid thing right you go to these guys i mean we were very you know i mean we could drink but we were not like partiers and we didn't have to Posted on social media either, so nobody knows what <laughs> happened. So, 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 but we we did take mopeds. Um, uh, this one friend and I, we took a moped out to this little ruin where we could just walk around. You know, we could just walk around and go wherever on it. You know, and I mean, you know, they're they're all over, right? It's just like, oh, this is a little, this is a ruin, you know, and it's this ruin that's been there for forever. And then you know, the old, um, just the hill towns and. You know, I mean, you don't have to go, you know, there are all these little islands that they have. I mean, we wanted to go to Crete, but we couldn't because of the, um, there was a uh, strike. And so they oh, were oh. going to these three little islands that were close to Athens. So we just went to like these little, these three islands that were close. And, you know, I mean, they, they all, you know, like they all have the same things. <laughs> I mean, and it was, it was, it was, Oh gosh, it was like in 1987, and it was around um, spring break. And one of the most interesting things was this procession that they had all through the hill town at Easter. And I mean, I'll always, I'll just always remember this because they were carrying the crutch, and it was all in candles. And I, you know, I have, I have photos of it on slides, of course. But um. It was, I mean, that was just like a magical moment of just, you know, of, of being in, in there. I mean, and that's, that's what I think people should be doing on their spring break. Not that I'm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but if I had done that when I was younger, I don't think I would have been able to appreciate it as much as I could appreciate it now. I mean, when I, when I'm, I'm very, like, I guess in a very tactile, I like to touch the buildings. Mm -hmm. When I got to Monticello. Mm-hmm. 
I, I walked up to the East Gate of Monticello and I threw my arms around one of the columns. And the security guard came up to me and he said, no, no, no. <laughs> so they started following me around once, once I got inside because you can't even allow to touch anything. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, and I had my, my daughters and my wife were with me and, and some friends. Mm -hmm. And we paid to get the extra tour of the upper levels Monticello. Mm -hmm. And we got to go into the dome room. And have you been to Monticello? No, I was too. Uh, well, there, there's a no, dome. I've never room. gone to Monticello. I went to uh, George Washington's. Mount Vernon. Yeah. Yes, there's, there's, Mount Vernon. There's a room yeah. in Monticello that's on the upper floors. That's a dome room. It's a round room, and it's under the dome that you see. You know, when you see mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's yeah. an ocular. There's a sky, round skylight at the top. Uh huh. Uh -huh. And of course, that's the room that everybody wants to see. So we're in there with the you know, crowd and everything. And uh, the tour guide is taking everybody down the hall to the next uh, room at that level. And I asked my daughter, I said, hold, hold back, let them go. So they're all gone. And I'm I said, get a picture of me in the dome. I'm in the dome room by myself, channeling Thomas Jefferson, looking up at that Oculus, because <laughs> he couldn't get glass. There were no glass foundries in the colonies. So he ordered the glass three times from Europe, three times. Oh, okay. The first two times it came broken because yeah. the transport broke the glass. Yeah, yeah. Glass. The yeah. last one, which is the one they installed, was only cracked. It wasn't broken. So he used it anyway. Oh. It, it fascinated me to think Jefferson walking around in that room, and I, I wanted to be in that room by myself. So my daughter stands outside there and takes a few pictures of me in the room. So then we go back. And we rejoined the tour. And as I rejoined the tour, the tour guide goes, where were you just now? <laughs> it's like, well, nowhere. I just, I was just lagging behind a little bit. You know, you didn't go in the rooms, did you? No, no, no. I know. So, well, I'm like really. <laughs> so this is why I said to my wife. because my I wife, do this. Oh, I, I do it all the time. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> so, Nobody, nobody knows. I mean, people are, you know, I was just at the, at, you know, I mean, now they'll probably be looking for me, but I was just at the Salk, yeah. uh, Salk the Salka Institute, like last, uh, gosh. Beautiful place. Like Monday or Tuesday. But, but people are always saying like, oh, I said, oh, I just, I just walk on. It's just going, I just, yeah. I know, I know how to get, I said, you know, I mean, I was sitting in there for probably five minutes. There was another architect that was, that was sitting, I'm sure he was an architect because most, most architects are there and that's what they, you know, they just show up and, and, you know, yeah. they weren't, they didn't have tours that day. Right. Obviously because it's the social distancing and, you know, everything shut down, but, right. um, you know, so I was just, I was just sitting in there and, you know, I took, of course I took a selfie with my mask and my glasses on and stuff. And then, probably 10 minutes later, you know, the security, which security will come up, right? Because they can see you on the cameras, but I swear, I think they just figure, you know what, let them, let them sit there for like 10 minutes or it must take them 10 minutes. Cause they know that, I think they know like, oh, they're just architects. They're just architects here right. to like see the space and, you know, and like, just let them, you know, just let them be there. Well, and he just came up and said, well, you know, do you have, you know, do you have your security pass? Are you here for business? And I said, no. It's like, okay, uh, then, you know, you can just leave over there. But <laughs> I mean, my wife and I are talking about going to London. And I said, I said, well, if we go to London, you're going to have to bring bail money. Because 
because I'm just, you know, I, I said, if we go to the British Museum and I see the Rosetta Stone, I, I have to touch it. I have to, I, the Rosetta Stone was in the possession of Napoleon Bonaparte. Yeah. Before the British, British seized it. I have to touch the Rosetta Stone. And I know if I reach over the, the bar to touch that stone, I'm going to jail. I just know. So I told my yeah. wife, you're going to have to bring bail money if yeah. we go to. <laughs> well, sometimes it's even taking photographs. I mean, now they've kind of restricted, you know, and they say without the, you know, without the flash. But, you know, I can remember I was standing in the Tate Gallery and there was like, and I went and I, I didn't know that we couldn't take photographs of anything. So right. I like went to take a photo, you know, a photograph. And of course I had, you know, my Nikon FG, right? <laughs> so, right. so they can see it, right? A lot easier than just a cell phone now. And this guard from two galleries over came running through, no photographs. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, you know, I, I know they're, I know they're, but I just try, I just, I just go as far as I can go usually before they say anything to me. I don't know. I, 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 I would like to not have to pay bail. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think they'll, I don't think they'll probably just, I, I mean, I wouldn't touch it. You know, I wouldn't touch the Rosetta Stone, but. You well, know. you know, you go, I don't know if you've been to the Guggenheim lately, but the last time I was at the Guggenheim, they wouldn't let anyone take pictures at all of anything. I was there, um, I was there two years ago. I was there when the conference was there, was in New York. Okay. I took a I mean, bunch, I've been there so I many took a times. bunch of photos. Yeah, I took a bunch of photos then. Oh, you know, I mean, the, the last time I was there, they, uh, one of the docents came up to me and said, you're not allowed to take photos of, of any portions of the building. It's a protected, copyrighted work of art. I said, I, I know that, but there's pictures all over the place. What difference does it make if I take a couple of pictures? You're not allowed to do it. They, they let people do it, but they strongly recommend that you not do it. Uh, they don't threaten you, but there's an implied threat behind it. So, well, I mean, it's always interesting, right? Because I'm not, I mean, I'm not making any, I don't make any money off of my blog. And I right. know, I know I don't make any, you know, I don't make any money off of, I mean, I think that that was basically like with the Frank Lloyd Wright Foundation, they don't want people to be making money off of anything that. Yeah, I think that's taking. what it is. Yeah. And I think that if it's for your own use, I mean, now it's like practically, I mean, it's practically impossible to you know to uh i don't know it is the yeah, cameras I mean, are everywhere so, now yeah yeah when, when yeah, I, exactly. we were at the metropolitan yeah. museum of art about it was about two months ago uh-huh and um they no longer tell you not to take pictures they don't want flash yeah. but you could go up and take pictures of all these beautiful works of art you know, you know paintings and, and sculptures and they don't stop you anymore they used to yeah. They don't anymore. So you're actually encouraged now because I think they see with social media, they see, oh, you know, so-and-so was at the art museum and they posted this beautiful picture. And most of the pictures that people take with their phones are terrible pictures. Most oh, yeah, most really of it. Exactly. And then, you know, I mean, you know what you can do all the time is they can just reverse Google it, image it. And so they can find out if you are doing anything, you know, right? Yeah, if you're making money off of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, they can immediately. And then you can also find if anybody's using any of your images and getting, you know, like I found. Actually, no, I've had to do that a few times. You know, <laughs> you know where you get a, a contractor who decides that he wants to use one of your projects on his website 
and he Absolutely. wasn't even a contractor on the project. I had that happen a few times. <laughs> Um, what happens? You know? I had somebody that wasn't even a contractor on a project of mine that that was sending out postcards, and then he was also advertising in like one of these little uh, magazines, like two for one. I don't know what he was doing two for one with this, but anyway, he was he had the images of my project on the thing. So first, I I asked the contractor. I said, "Did this person work on the project? Like, do they have any?" do they have any right. right to right? do they have any right to like post these images and then then I called them up and said like you know you didn't work on this project and you're advertising my project on there right. as saying that you know they were doing decks and they advertised my project as this deck that you know in there right in their image so then I had to um so then I basically had to get you know it's like they wouldn't you know they wouldn't stop and then then they said on the on the um in the phone conversation, they were saying, oh, are you talking about the postcards or, or, and I'm like, postcards, what postcard? So they were all sending out postcards. <laughs> and I said, no, you can't use any of those images. Those are my images. And I said, and you didn't even work on the project. I said, you didn't work on the project. I asked the general contractor. So, um, you know, so I vent, I mean, I had to send, a, I had to, you know, write a, a a letter with an attorney to like do it because I mean I think a lot of times you know they're just gonna do it until they you know even said on the phone you want me to cease and desist and I'm like oh you even know the language so it's yeah. like <laughs> yeah. I don't know, yeah, people I have no no compunction whatsoever about yeah. stealing your uh, your intellectual property if they can I mean yeah. it's a big problem it's a big problem in our industry because people don't think of our our work product as being copyright protected yes keep it that way yeah yeah. And yeah. that's, you know what? I mean, everything I do is custom designed for the specific situation. So they mm -hmm. can't really use it. They can't reuse it for something yeah. else. Yeah. I do yeah. new buildings. I do new homes from time to time, mm -hmm. but they're very site specific. So unless you had the yeah. same site, you couldn't really reuse what I did. So I don't really spend a lot of time chasing after people like that. I may let them know that I know that they're using my work and I said, uh -huh. just credit me. Yeah. Bomb, yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's, it's too much work. And, and, you know, even if you, even if you try to take legal action, it, there's no guarantee that the um, courts will, will recognize the uniqueness of what you've created. It's, it's, it's hard, you know? Well, I mean, you know, right. It's like, I wasn't going to pursue it. Not that I, not that I wouldn't at some other point in my life, but, um, you know, you have to prove, I mean, you know, what, what, right. So basically in this situation, it's like you're advertising, you're using an image and advertising a project that you didn't work on. Right. So how many projects did you get based on that image of mine? Right. You know, then you have to sit there and try to, and it's like, well, am I going to pursue that? You know, it's like, no, I mean, and I've had, you know, I've had people like take, you know, good design development drawings of mine and go and build the project and write. And then all of a sudden you're driving somewhere and you're going past the job site and they were like, oh, I thought they said that they couldn't afford to build it. And there it, there right. it is. Right. So they've just took your plan. So, you know, so I always have to tell people, I mean, I always have to, you know, I have to tell people when I'm, you know, first meeting with them, and I'm sure you do too, you know, if yeah. even if you get schematic drawings from me, the design is still mine, you know, and it's like, and I, I, you know, I would appreciate if you didn't then take it to somebody else to draft it up for you. And then, you know, so. 
I'll have a statement on all of my drawings along the edge oh. that explains that. Yeah. Yes, yes. But I mean, sometimes it just needs to be clarified. <laughs> now, the last building, you asked me for three. Yes. The last yes. building is, as I said, was the Empire State Building. Mm -hmm. That was uh, designed by uh, William Lamb. It was built during the Great Depression in a time of serious economic upheaval. Not unlike the economic upheaval that's happening now. Yes. But it was built yeah. as a real estate syndication. Okay. Which, as I began to study economics, is another fascinating aspect of that building. It was built in about 18 months, which is quite a feat when you think about it. Oh, my gosh. Built during yeah. the Great Depression. But a real estate syndication is a form of, um, of, of grouping capital in order to accomplish a project mm -hmm. by forming a corporation and selling shares in the syndication to people who hold those shares. And then they own a small ownership in the building. Uh -huh. So you sell shares to people and then you amass the capital you need in order to execute the construction. Mm -hmm. The Empire State Building probably would not exist if it were not for the ability of those developers to create a real estate syndication at a time when the Great Depression, would, you know, the stock market had crashed, the Great mm -hmm. Depression is, is raging. I mean, they didn't know they could build this building and they would, could have no tenants. Yeah. Yeah. But they built it as a syndication. And I always thought that that was a fascinating thing. So you see the economics creates the uh, ability of the people who want to build. Mm -hmm. It gives them the ability to build it by the way they approach the economic aspects of this. So that no, always that's, that's incredible. Think. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know and that. Yeah. yeah. This is why I've always been, so interested in the economics of design mm -hmm. because you can have a theoretical building and not build it. And that's fine. But if you're going to build that building, you have to understand the economics of design. And as the architect, yeah. you need to understand how that factors into the building. Mm -hmm. And so much of what I learned in school was the antithesis of that. Mm -hmm. Oh, we don't worry about that. Oh, we're just, we're doing this design. We're doing that. design. we're not worried about how potentially we might uh, approach this from an economic standpoint. And the economics, the study of economics is about how you efficiently distribute resources. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that's how you build a building. You say, how do you oh, efficiently oh, yeah. use labor and materials oh, oh, yeah. to create I mean, this I, building? How, yeah. how could you not consider that? in the process of creating the building. It's, to me, it, you can't separate those two. Yeah. It's inherent. I mean, it's there part are people, of the process. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think that that's like, if people aren't getting it in school, I mean, I know at, at Cal Poly, and I had a discussion with a podcast that I was on last week, but just as far as, you know, at Cal Poly, you'd have a thousand hours of work experience, at Cal Poly Pomona, a thousand hours of work experience before you graduated and that you know that way you kind of like saw I mean you were learning like okay you know it's like people are going to call up they're going to be angry about their bill or their you know things are going to be over but but that, that's why I always you know and people are saying well do a lot of your projects because they'll see my work and they'll oh well do a lot of your projects go over budget and I said well no because I, after schematic design I said I typically you know sometimes the clients don't even tell me what what their budget is, right? But, I don't ask them what their budget is. Yeah. I tell well, them what their budget has to be. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
so that's another thing. So I'll say, what do you have in mind? And I'll say, okay, you know, it's like, what, that's, that's not feasible. But, you know, and, and if they're like thinking, oh, well, it still is, or somebody told us we could do this. I'm like, you know what, this is what I do. I said, after schematic design, I said, we'll get preliminary estimates. And I said, we'll see where things are. And I said, so, and then that way, we don't waste a lot of time designing a project that you're not going to be able to build because it's going to be too expensive. And I right. said, so, you know, I said, so let's do this. And, and, you know, it's a, they, Oh, I want all this space. It's like, you, you can't afford that much space. You know, it's like right. every square foot of space, you know, and these spaces are going to be more expensive than this space. You know, a kitchen and bath area is going to be more expensive than a bedroom, you know, or an office area. And I said, these are just, you know, these yeah. are, you know, the, um, you know, it, that it, it's not going to change. I mean, you're never going right? to, it's like those right. spaces are never going to be, you're never going to have. It's important to do those things. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you have to do that. And that way, you know, you don't give people these unrealistic expectations about this. And then that's, you know, and that's why we're so, you know, and that's why we're of value in the profession. Well, I, I lose projects like this because, you know, I, people no, call me for absolutely. a project. And they, I said, send me your survey. Tell me, give me a detailed description. If they, if it's not detailed enough, I'll call them. I'll talk with them on the phone. I'll spend a half an hour you know, mm -hmm. getting, to, you know, I need to get a, a sense of what they're really trying to accomplish. Yeah. Level of finish. And so, and, and I can crunch numbers and I can tell them and say, based on what you said you wanted to do, it's going to cost you this much. And yeah. of course they're, oh, the contractor told me it was only going to be exactly. half that much. It's like, yeah. sometimes I lose the project. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes oh, the project yeah. comes back yeah. to me after mm -hmm. and say, you know, you were right. I should have listened to you. <laughs> and and now I'm in trouble. Yeah. So I'm firing the other guys and I'm mm -hmm. going to start over again. And, you know, and of course. And then really looking at what you're, you know, it's, it's like them thinking, oh my gosh, I thought you were so expensive. And then I realized afterwards that you weren't so expensive. You know, what ended up being expensive was going with another person that had, you know, that told me that I was going to be able to do this much. And then we didn't have enough to finish the project or do right. whatever, you know. I had that conversation I mean, a half an hour ago. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, you know, and I mean, it's amazing. And people, you know, I mean, people, if people say like, oh, well, do your projects get built? Do your projects get finished? Like, oh, <laughs> I said, what? Yeah, I, said, I don't have any projects. That I said, you know, maybe people decide that they're not. I mean, I did do work for one, you know, I mean, the, the example that I always use is like, is like a thing that rarely happens is that I had one project in Point Loma and then these people down the street wanted to do one and he was a landscape architect and the lots there are are pretty small as far as like what the buildable area was and he was a landscape architect but he had all these plants you know but there really wasn't enough room but he also had a car collection and there really wasn't room for this car collection either and he wanted to build you know he wanted to build out onto this slope and then there were problems with the slope and there was a 180 degree view of the ocean and you know and i'll say and i said you know they decided not to do the project i said because it was the structural foundation was i said but another thing is, is that they realized financially it would be better for them to rent out that house and then go buy a house that is like more in the east that and and the wife said you know i don't um, I don't like waking up in the fog all the time and it's always overcast and depressing. So even though she was, you know, they had a beautiful water view, 
you know, it's like they decided to, you know, to move to another house. And I mean, those are the kind of, you know, things where it's like, even they realized it wasn't, you know, it wasn't going to be, uh, economically, it wasn't a good decision for them to put all that money into when it, when that, when that house and that site just really didn't fit their lifestyle anymore. You know? well, I'm, at least they told you, at least they, they realized that. I mean, I've, I've walked oh, yeah, out, they I've did walked out of project construction estimate, you know, estimating. Yeah, no, I understand. I, but I've walked yeah. out of projects where, you know, I, I, I interview the client and they, they tell me what they want to do. And I visit the, because pro- a lot of what I do, a lot of what's here is already built out. Mm-hmm. So I go oh, yeah. visit and yeah. they explain what they want to do. Yeah. And sometimes I just look at them and say, don't build. You don't need the space. Yeah. You don't need to devote your resources to this. And it's really not, you're not going to end up with a good result when you're done. You've already, what you've got already fulfills your needs. It's not sustainable to do that. There's no reason to do that. You know, and then they say, oh, but we want to. And I'm like, well, that's great, but I'm not doing it. So you're going to have to get somebody else. And of course they yeah. always find somebody else, yeah. but there are just some oh, yeah. things I just yeah. won't they do. Always find, yeah. They all, they're always going to find somebody else, but you know, the person doesn't, I mean, I interviewed for a job, I don't know, a couple months ago. Um, and it was with kind of this referral agency that, that, um, that has contractors on board to do different things. So they'll refer. So it's like, I went and met, I went and met with them and, um, and we met with the client and the client, they said, they said that they wanted to do a second floor addition and that they wanted to add all these bedrooms. But the thing is, is that it was a one story house and it already had three bedrooms on the first floor. So, so the, the client kind of described what he wanted. He wanted like four bedrooms on the second floor plus an office. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you don't even have the footprint to be able to do that. You know, but he had had these, um, he had had his, uh, one of his kids were in the local high school and the high school class decided to come up with this floor plan for their house. <laughs> so he shows me this floor plan oh, for the house. No. And I said, okay, right. Cause I don't really want to say that much. So then on our, you know, I, I was, I said to the, you know, to the, the referral people in the contractor, I said, well, what does he want to do with all these built, these bedrooms that he has on the first floor? And I said, does he want to keep his bedroom? I said, because now it's going to be like a seven bedroom house that really only has like a, like a 14 or 1500 square foot, um, uh, you know, floor plan on the first floor, right? Footprint. You know, and I said, and then he, he wants to cantilever off the back and like, we're telling him that's too expensive. It, you know, I mean like all of these, because these high school students had come up with this cantilever plan you know, and, and so all of these things. And so then we're on our way out the door, you know, and then, then I had asked the person, I said, well, what did he say about these other bedrooms on the first floor? And they said, oh no, he wants to keep the bedrooms on the first floor. And I said, really? And so then I asked him and I said, are you planning on keeping all these bedrooms on the first floor? So you're going to have like a seven bedroom house. And then he said, oh no, we're also going to open up. So we had already told him, they'd already told him that he could not afford what he wanted to do with the second floor. Right. Then he says on the way out, you know, we're on the way out. He says that he wanted to totally open up the first floor. And I was like, oh my gosh. So we left and then he contacted us like less than 24 hours later and said, oh yeah, I've decided to go with these other people, you know? And we're like, and, and I said to, I said, I said to the referral people, I said, I will bet you that they do not know anything about this whole first floor. 
if they're if they're saying that he can do a certain amount of things for like this much money and this and so we'll we'll see we'll see if he calls back after i mean i just sent him an email and said if you need any help in the future let me know <laughs> i mean sometimes she's can't so, well it's good but that that's why i was yeah yeah it's good that you said the empire state building because i just By the empire that. state building yes because yeah. typically people don't give ever give me a skyscraper though yesterday jeff gave me a skyscraper not this one and i was like wow that like jeff saying that i said i'm pretty sure that the first skyscraper the name is so that's great that you've got this skyscraper as the first one too yeah so um and and I mean, Yes, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, growing up in New Jersey, we're always looking across to, at New York. So, you know, seeing the Empire State Building, I mean, I watched them build the World Trade Center as a child. I watched mm -hmm. it go up. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, but, uh, but the Empire State Building, as I found out later, was built as a real estate syndication, which really intrigued me that it would not have been possible otherwise. So, as an architect and as a designer, as someone who wants to create objects, create things, and have them built, Mm -hmm. It always, I always thought of it as a paradox that they would not teach me that. I had to, I had to go and learn that on my own. It was not <laughs> part I've never heard of it. I've never heard that before. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's very interesting. They do that for a lot of speculative development out here for, um, for custom homes. Mm -hmm. They'll do that where a lot of people will go in and you know it's like i don't even know who the investors are right because i'm just doing it for these small um family development right. companies but um so what do you like about being an architect i i just love everything about it i i want i became an architect because i wanted to help people to achieve things to achieve their goals mm -hmm. and people need well-designed shelter and it's not so easy i mean a, a lot of people think of home design and building design as being relatively simple you draw a few lines and then the contractor does everything it's there is so much that goes into the planning of even a simple home now yes yes it's very complex the codes have gotten complex mm -hmm. sustainability is a real issue that needs to be addressed it yeah. should be addressed in every project from the mm -hmm. smallest project to the largest. It's, mm -hmm. It should be a part of everything. And the economics of that is important. You need to be able to talk to people about the economics of what it is they're asking you to design mm -hmm. so that you can bring them along through the process. They, mm -hmm. they, no one's going to hand you tons of money, or I shouldn't say this, there are clients that will do this, hand you tons of money and then say, all right, let me know what you come up with. Mm -hmm. Now that's that's really not the way things work. Yeah. So you need to be able to speak that language. Uh, and and again, I found even with even people, I mean, everybody has a budget. Even if a person has billions, I mean, they still have a budget. And a lot of times their budget is a lot less than what you would think that you would have from somebody that, you know, they can they're it, much it more depends uh, on their attitude. I mean, yeah, I've had yeah, I've yeah. had very wealthy clients and we've done successful projects, but they want these things done on tight budgets. It's mm -hmm. that's the way they are. It's, it reflects their personality. There yes. aren't a lot of clients that are ready to just write blank checks. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just not in their nature. It's not anyone's nature, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you need to be able to address that. I've also had clients that were on very tight budgets, mm -hmm. and because I tracked the economics of the project from the very first phone call, we actually had a successful project instead of a you know major disaster where it went over budget by. 
you know, a hundred thousand on, you know, the, the budget was double what they were told, you know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't happen to my clients. I won't let it happen to them. Yeah. And if they're, if they don't want the honest answers, then they're going to either go hire somebody else or, you know, they're not dealing with me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do not want to take money. I tell you this all the time. I will not take money from you unless you understand that this is what you're asking me to do and this is how much it's going to cost. There's not going to be some magic process by which you get it for half of what I'm telling you. Yeah. You, it's yeah. going to be what I tell you or maybe yeah. a little bit more. Yeah. I won't take money from you mm-hmm. until you say, yes, I understand. That's what I'm getting myself into. So yeah. I... I love being an architect because I get to help people to achieve their goals. I listen to what they need. I know how to put buildings together. They know what they want. They tell me what, you know, my design philosophy is not based on a specific style. Um, I can speak in colonial just as well as I can speak in modern. And I I often, uh, you know, Say to people, I say, you know, you, you tell me you want a modern home. Modernism is a hundred years old. Yeah. What do you mean by modern? You know, so there's all kinds of different interpretations of what modern is. You know, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. you know, I design in all different styles and, and such. But I focus mainly on uh, the economics of design, the integration of systems, sustainability issues. Uh, I look at the life cycle costing when I work with people. Uh, you hire me, you're getting sustainable features, whether you want them or not. I, I put them in there, even if people don't ask for them, because it just makes sense. I mean, we have to do these things. It's just, yeah. And it makes economic sense for them. Uh, yes. I may not have the conversation with them, but I mean, I had a, I got a call from a, a client um, a couple of months ago, I finished the project in the fall. And uh, she calls me in February and she goes, what did you do with my house? I said, what do you mean? She goes, we doubled the size of the house and my electric bill is half what it was before. (laughs) And I said, well, that's because of the way it was designed. Yeah. And she goes, how did you do that? (laughs) Yeah. I know. Well, especially when you've got like heating and cooling and then, I mean, like great different, I mean, we have, we have a pretty, you know, moderate client climate out here, but I mean, still there's, there's a great difference in, in, um, you know, our existing house has no insulation at all. So it's like, you know, but, but because of the codes, we have to do, you know, heavy duty insulation in the addition that we're doing right now. So, you know, so which is going to cause you other problems. (laughs) Which, which, um, yeah, which, which does we actually, my, I, these French doors that I have that are on the east side of the house, you know, it's like, we were, the window and door person was asking me like, Oh, do you want any um, film on it so that it could be higher? I said, but you know, and I talked to my title 24 person, the the second I've got two title 24 people on my project, (laughs) but he was saying like, don't put it on the East side because if your house is cold in the morning, you're not going to be able to get that sun in the East. If you have that additional film where, you know, if it was on the West side, it would be a different thing. And, and, you know, I mean, but these are just all, you know, things that, you know, that, that you need to know in order to make, you know, to make the house um, more efficient. Yeah. I mean, I do, I do sun studies on every project, whether the client asks for it or not. Um, oh, exactly. Because we yeah, need to exactly. know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
Yeah. Well, you know, because I think some of the things too, is that they're, they're sometimes they want to, uh, you know, even though they say they want it light or bright, you know, and I said, well, why don't you, why don't you take the drapes off the windows? You know, things like that. <laughs> like, so you're like me. So yeah, you're gonna I, go like, I, don't care, I don't care what these people think of me. It's like, what's with these drapes? You know, it's like, why don't you take the drapes off the windows? Because then I, I said, because, you know, and then, you know, it's like, you don't want to, you know, if you're talking about light and bright, I said, then you don't want to recreate like this darkness in the new project right and it's like a lot of times they'll want to go with the familiar with what they what they already have in their house instead of you're like okay you don't you know it's like you don't need to you know like let's let's try to do it a different way or let's try to use like brighter you know uh, lighter materials brighter materials to like bring it in just, well, just and, then and then that's not that's not actual physical space that you have to add to the house. It's rearranging your existing space or adding windows. And then that is caught, then that's saving them in with their budget. So yeah, I, I do that. Like, right. It's making, I mean, a lot of times it's making less work for us because, you know, then we're not adding a huge house or, you know, it's not going to be the bigger project or, you know, but it's, it's what they need and not what they think they need. Right, and you, they're not wasting material resources, and they're not clogging a landfill, and they're not creating something that is going to use a lot of energy needlessly. Yeah. So, me, that's all part of what we do. If I end up with a lesser project, then it's fine. I mean, like yeah. I said before, I go to I go to look at new projects, and sometimes I say, "Don't build; you don't need it." So we, yeah. we'll take this wall out. We'll we'll add some windows here, and yeah. everything you told me you wanted to accomplish will be accomplished. And yeah. you just spent a quarter or less of what it is that you told me that you were prepared to spend, you know, yeah. and they, they look at you straight because they got contractors. <laughs> sometimes they've got contractors first. Mm -hmm. And of course they assume that the contractor understands energy efficiency, you know, uh, sun windows and, and, you know, con contractors can develop an understanding of those things. Um, but it's really not for them. They're, they're about putting buildings together. They're not about, deciding on all of these facets of how the, the, the object works. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's, but people don't understand, many people don't understand that. Fortunately for me, I have a lot of uh, clients that are very aware of that architects are important for the project and they call me before they even talk to a contractor. Mm -hmm. I get that a lot. And I used, I never used to get that, but my reputation is such that, uh, uh, people know that they can trust me when I tell them what it's going to cost, that it's actually going to cost what I tell them. It's not, mm -hmm. I'm not undervaluing it in order to get the project. Yeah. I'll lose the project before I'll tell somebody that their budget is half of what it really needs to be. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But th that's why I, uh, I wanted to become an architect. I wanted to help people achieve their goals in, in terms of uh, architecture. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's telling them that don't do it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So what would you, uh, what would you like to say about the future of architecture? Uh, I mean, I'm optimistic for the future. Um, I'm a little. Even the future beyond our present situation. Future. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the future beyond the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yes. I'm, exactly. up the, I'm optimistic. We'll survive the pandemic. Yes. yes <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, for the last few decades, we've been in a kind of a design free for all. It's kind of, it can, you know, with the, the parametricism and you've got the, the remnants of postmodernism and then you've got the remnants of modernism and it's all, mm -hmm. it's a big jumble mm -hmm. of all 
kinds of things and there's really no discipline in the design anymore. There's no, um, you know, there's no emerging style that's going to lead us into the future. And what we've lost, because that's happening, we've lost a lot of the underlying meaning behind architecture as an art. It's, mm-hmm. Nowadays, it's all about the form. It, it, it's not about the meaning. Something's going upstairs. Oh, what do you, what are your things fell down? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's what yeah. it is. <laughs> My background. There we go. Oh, there we go. Okay. That happened one other time. But because uh, I have this little section of my office that I cordon off to do these interviews. Because oh, yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Control with the, with the back, yeah. Right? <laughs> Except when it falls down. But yeah. That was it's great. Um, we're in a kind of a free for all design wise, which. Like I said before, my design philosophy is not style based, mm-hmm. but it is meaning based. There's meaning behind what I do as I create these designs. Now I may create a colonial design for a client that has an affinity for colonial, but there will be meaning behind that design. Um, if there's a modern design, there'll be meaning behind that. It, I think we've lost that. I, I, I don't see a lot of that. And I don't hear architects talking about meaning any longer. It's, it's about technology. It's about you know, uh, AI. They're talking a lot about AI. You know, it's like, you know, I get it. I get it. But you know, I used to have these discussions and these debates with the engineering students at Carnegie Mellon. They used to tell us that, oh, you know, 10 years from now, you're going to be out of business because, you know, we're going to design a computer system that's going to replace you. And I said, well, you know, the engineers you know, are, are telling us something. I said, I think you got it backwards. I mean, we're the creative people. You know, you're going to design a computer that's going to put architects out of business, I think you're going to end up putting yourself out of business. Yes. That's what you're going to do because engineering is not really the creative side of what yeah. we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's more about, yeah, that's, it's more about formulas and making things and then just in sizing things, which can be done with anything. I mean, the technology and far as the expression of the structure, you know, which is typically a collaboration between the architect and the engineer. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, a lot of architects are just skin jockeys. I mean, they're just, they're just out there, you know, they're, they're consulted on the skin, the exterior of the building. The rest of it is, is a standard uh, format or a standard uh, a program that's set up by a developer based on marketing research. So the developer doesn't want the architect's input on the inside. They already know the level of finish they're going to put in. They already know that the program of the building they're creating, if it's you know, depending on what type of a building it is. Mm-hmm. And all they want is the architect to help them pick the skin and the color. I mean, I call, I call those types of architects skin jockeys. They, they do. <laughs> you know? Now, of course, they don't. The plastic surgeon, the plastic surgeons of the architecture field. It's not even plastic <laughs> surgery because, you know, there's, even a plastic surgeon is meaning behind what the plastic surgeon is doing. It, some of the stuff that I see being done, it's just, why? Why? Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. You know, I mean, there's a lot of, and a lot of it spills over into the whole, um, uh, you know, global warming and climate change. Why are we wasting resources? Why are we wasting resources doing these incredibly expensive buildings to create sculpture, and at at the same time, we're preaching to people say, "Oh, uh, don't you know? Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't drive your car because you're you're hurting the planet." I mean, what hurts the planet more than wasting enormous economic resources? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm on this thing. I'm on this thing right now where I'm like really, I'm really angry about all these um, either real or fake stone veneers where they're just putting stone veneer everywhere. Like, yeah. oh, look at this. Oh, we'll put a stone veneer on it. And you can tell I'm like, what? I know that an architect wasn't involved with that. Or if an architect was involved, why would they say, like, let's use a stone veneer? I mean, it's an incredible waste of, of resources. It, you know, it adds it adds a tremendous amount of um, uh, the, you know, money to the project. Yeah, and, and it's like, why, what is it doing on here? Besides the fact that somebody said, oh, I want stone veneer at the base of the building because everybody else is putting stone veneer. I mean, it just, it yeah. drives, I don't know, it just drives me crazy. And you've got stone veneer that's like, right? A patch of it that's like, it's <laughs> like yeah. 30 feet up the side of the building. So there's no, there's no meaning even behind stone. Like you would never put a stone veneer that far away or wood-sided, wood-sided skyscrapers or high rises. I mean, why would you put a, a exterior wood siding on, on a skyscraper? I mean, not even a skyscraper, like a, like a, you know, a building, I mean, maybe if you have these timber things, but they're just, they just seem to me to be like more of, you know, they're, they're materials that were used for a certain reason, right? And then, you know, the reason why we use other materials for that is because of, you know, of not only, um, you know, there, there are more reasons of why, you know, economic right why would we do a tower out of wood siding i mean there's no <laughs> you can you can you do that provided there's a specific meaning or reasoning behind what you're doing to me the most successful project and, and if it was a wood right we're getting these higher timber structures if you yes. can clad in a wood if you can clad in a wood and then it's like you're getting wood next to wood that's fine but like putting you know, adding wood, which isn't really wood typically, it would right. be like a composite or something. Right. Yeah. 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 So, but, you know, finding the balance between the aesthetic expression and the function to make sure that the building functions, all buildings have to function. Mm -hmm. And then the economics, when you have mm -hmm. a balance between those three aspects, that's all about what I do. I try to find that balance and meaning is created and meaning lives in that balance. Mm -hmm. and, and that seems to be missing. It's, I mean, maybe I'm not getting it, but I look at some of what's being created and I, I see, you know, it's like this, this is influenced by HGTV. This is influenced by someone trying to copy a building in Europe done by a famous architect, but they're not copying it properly. They're interpreting it wrong, messing it up. And then, and then you have some of these buildings which are designed by the architects that just seem so hollow and shallow in their form i just i you know far be it for me to criticize you know um, the high stylists of our profession but uh -huh. the, the meaning is 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 more important there's more important buildings used to have meaning and i don't think they do any longer and that's disappointing so my hope for the future is that i hope to see a return of mm -hmm. meaning to architecture okay hopefully no i mean that's i think that that's i think that that's good and that that is what we're taught in school and that is something that we can try to convey to people about you know about why um 
you know, about why, why we'll design something a certain way, you know, especially, I mean, if for, you know, especially when it's personal and, you know, it is for their home and, and, um, you know, you are designing for a specific person, you know, a couple, a family, you know, I mean, the, the place where they're going to live every day where, you know, where they might be in, you know, stuck with three other members of their family. <laughs> Where I'm telling my daughter, like, not to, like, please don't run the washer and dryer when I'm trying to do Yes, yes, yes. That's why I was running. Oh, okay. But to me, a building design is like poetry. It's not just the words, you know. It's the meaning behind the words. And we seem to have lost the poetry that used to be in architecture and i'm hoping that that poetry will return it seems like in, i look at some buildings and i say that there's no poetry there they've taken the poetry and they've turned it into a limerick and that's no way to to, to do things you know but it's uh-huh. i mean there's so many aspects of of um you know how a building gets built and there are so many people that have to kind of sign on to the the overall poetic meaning behind what you're trying to do it's easy to get things just derailed you know it's like you design a building you put certain materials in for meaning and then you find out the developer just stripped all of your your materials and substituted other materials and didn't consult you and now you have a train wreck on your hands the developer doesn't care because he doesn't understand and it's like okay you know, I have a, I always say, I always say to my colleagues, I say, oh God, another one I can't put on my website. <laughs> because, you know, the, the original design was beautiful and poetic and had significant meaning. And, and now I can't use it because they've. And then, people, the I know, and, and then people will say like, oh, well, well, architects just designed for their website. It's like, no, it's not that we're just designing for our website. It's that. It's that when we see a project and we have a certain idea and then that, and then, you know, something is done without consulting us or whatever, and then, you know, and then it just, it just creates, you know, problems on top of problems, you know, and so, so then, you know, it's well, like, I, I explain to you, yeah, yeah. And, and then, you know, like, no, I just didn't, world. you know, this wasn't just this gestural, uh, you know, a sweep of my hand of why I said that it should be that way. There were all not arbitrary. Reasons. Yeah, there were all of the. It wasn't arbitrary. It was. There were all these reasons why I did it, and then you changing this, like, it, you know, started this other process. And I don't know. I, you know, the other thing is the front door. It's like I always like laugh. I'm like, you know what? I, you know, we we just have to, you know, some things. I guess we're just gonna have to use with uh, Photoshop because. <laughs> because yes, I do. That. Like, because and one of my friends you know when I was like saying something about the front about the front door I'm like oh my gosh what's the deal with the front door you know it's like it's like can we just pick a nice front door like it doesn't have to be an expensive front door I said you know just go with maybe a traditional wood front door and then all of a sudden you like see this front door you're like oh my gosh like what like what you know and I used to say like okay like you know but I I used to work with a kitchen designer who used to say this profession would be great if it wasn't for the client. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to think that or, or when they're bringing in interior designers in at the like, like halfway, right. All of a sudden, 
right? All of a sudden there's, you know, it's like you've done the project and, and maybe they didn't understand it before the walls were up and the windows were in. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, now we can bring in somebody else to do all these other things. And I said, well, I already, you know, when I'm designing, I'm thinking about the interiors. I'm thinking about like what, you know, and it's like, you have good taste. Like, why are you bringing in this other person that, you know, that is going to now like, I said, you know, I mean, I can provide all those services for you. I already have thought about that. I've drawn it, you know, and it's like, it's like we, we do more than just the exterior envelope. And I think that people, you know, especially, especially when we're designing houses, I mean, there isn't any architect that I know that designs houses that can't do the interiors of the house. I mean, of course we can pick all the material and finishes, you know, the tile work. I mean, typically we all do that. And then, you know, all of a sudden they have, you know, somebody like, oh, this person said they're going to help me with this and they're going to help me with this. And it's like, oh, but you know, it's like, yeah, I said, well, you know, we can all work together on that. If you want to bring somebody in to do this, I mean, I don't need to do a million cabinet details for all these kitchen, you know, places that already have. I, I work with yeah. designers all the yeah. time. I work with uh, interior uh, decorators from time to time. Um, some are more aware than others. Some are, a lot of interior decorators, unfortunately, are not professionally trained. Yes. And, and they, yeah. do, I had a yeah. colleague of mine said, they don't the know. decorators versus the designers, right? Well, interior to me, I'll tell, you the, I'll tell you what the difference is. Okay. An interior designer does drawings. Okay. A decorator doesn't do drawings. They'll just yeah. come in and uh, an yeah. a decorator will come in with their cell phone, search Google for images and fire images off to the contractor. I want you to do it this way. And I want you to do it. I said, that's not design. That's not yeah. design. Yeah. You're not going to end up with a good result if you keep doing it that way. But this is the way they do it because this is the way they see it happening on HGTV. Mm -hmm. And because yeah. somebody told them that their house was nicely designed and they did it themselves, they now think that they can be an interior decorator. Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, it's like the layout of the tile and how things are, you know, it's like I've gone over, you know, this stuff, but, you know, I mean, if the person doesn't want, you know, if the person that you're working with doesn't want to, you know, doesn't want to listen or doesn't want to learn from, from you about the, you know, it's like I did a project recently and, you know, it's like, okay, you know, we got half of that and I said, okay, you know, it's like things have to be lined up. Like this tile starts here. This has to be here. The, you know, the plant, I said, there, these are all these little details that have to go in when you're, you know, when you are laying out the thing. I said, which is the reason why I said that I wanted to do a drawing for it. I said, and, you know, and, and the contractor's, like, oh, we don't need a drawing for it. Right. Like, okay, but this is what happens when you don't do a drawing. Right. For it. I said, this stuff doesn't get, you know, you know what I do? If you're not talking to the person and like, and being there right there on the job site talking about it and saying, okay, this is how I want this laid out, which I uh, make them do the of people that can, pardon me. You still I make do them drawing. do the drawing. I call it, I said, I want a shop drawing on the tile work. Yeah. I, want you to, I want you to give me a, a floor plan of the tile layout on the floor that you're going to do. Mm -hmm. Because unless I do that, they aren't paying attention. I can give them a drawing and they won't follow it. But if I make them do the drawing, then they start to realize, oh, wow, this detail matters. <laughs> oh, the alignment of this matters. Oh, I, I have to start here. I can't start over there. Yeah. You know? it, makes them, yeah. it makes the craftsman who ultimately has the but power of success. That, do you have craftsmen that will draw? 
I, listen, I ask for the drawings. I don't uh -huh. always get them. Oh, okay. I don't always get them. But when yeah. I ask for them and I don't get them, then the conversation starts. Okay. Why do you want that? Why do you want that? I want that because did you notice that if you if the tile isn't done in the right way, if it doesn't start in the right place, you're gonna have a problem over here. Yeah. Oh, about that. I said, well, that's why I want the drawing. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, yeah, I've had situations where sometimes the contractors and the clients learn, you know, the hard way. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. for the drawing. In the emails yeah. over and over again, there's a huge problem on the project. It's a it's a financial issue, mm -hmm. you know, because um, things have been installed and now they have to be uninstalled and reinstalled. And as I pull out those emails, I say, look, I, I asked for this information. You told me that I wasn't going to get it because it's going to cost you $5 to have the drawing done or yeah. you know, whatever it is, $500. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. I said, but now we have a huge problem. Yeah. And it's all because you didn't listen when I said we needed this, and I even told you why we needed it. So I tell and I think it's interesting because literally this last this last time it was it was because all of the things that the person at the end, and it was because you know the client was it. I wasn't working with the client; I was working with an owner's rep. But pretty much all of the things that I had like brought up, or that I didn't, you know, that that brought up like before that weren't paid attention to were the things that she said at the end oh i would have i wouldn't have done it that way again i wouldn't have done it. and i just and literally i just said like well yeah i i said that you were i'm not to say that like i told you so but like right. i said well I said, you know that's why i brought up these certain things you know because i mean you know let, let's face it i mean we're because we're you know we're further along in years i guess we can say that <laughs> we, we we have speak for yourself yeah I know. <laughs> I'll, I'll admit i'm 55 i've been doing you know it's like for probably until like 10 years ago or whatever people i mean most of the time they would be like oh are you are you have do you have enough experience to do this and yeah, I'm, right, yeah right. i've been i've been working in the i mean i've been working for an architect since i was 19 and i said yeah i said i have experience you know my my family was um both sides of the family were, you know, in certain aspects of the construction industry. So it's like, I've been around it a long time. And I said, you know, it's like, I've, you know, I've worked for different architects. I've been practicing on my own for 25 years. You know, it's like, I, I can, well, you, you have, know, I can have a portfolio. Yeah. You have successful projects. You have, you know, not every project is successful. I only show my oh, no. potential I, clients the successful projects. <laughs> oh well yeah no no exactly yeah i mean exactly like i mean you know you know how it is bill you know you'll look at i mean i'll, I'll looking at all these drawings because we're part of it is an office space here so i'm like looking through all these drawings that i have and and it's weird i'm like you know some of these projects i said i seriously i said i do not remember i said i mean I drew it. I know that those are, those are my lines. Those that's my lettering because I still hand draft. And I said, but I I said I cannot remember where this. I said obviously it wasn't a built project, or I would have like known. You know, the people either decided not to do it, or it was like some other project. You know, and it's from years ago. I said, but literally, I said sometimes I just I just can't I just can't remember the project. And I said it's it's unbelievable to me that like I would go through a process. Obviously, it wasn't a big project you know i would have remembered like all of the big projects but some of the small ones it's just like i'm looking at them and i'm just like i don't i don't know i don't even recognize the address of the project so it's totally really? bizarre i yeah, remember totally everything in my car yeah oh no and i was looking i had a set of drawings for some um 
some apartments or condos that were done in Carlsbad where I know, I mean, I was working at another firm and I done, and I looked at it and I'm like, I know, I know that I worked on this project and there's my life, but you know, I mean, I was like 19, 20 years old. I mean, I can't, yeah. you know, like, I can't, I said, I don't remember ever working. I said, or if I did, I had no idea it was in Carlsbad. I said, now I'm going to go, you know, I Googled it to see if it had, you know, I mean, it had been built and it's still there, you know, but the project was done, you know, it was done in the eighties. I mean, it's, it's so but you, you say like, you said eighties, like it's a bad thing. I just, no, 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 I just meant like, you know, I mean, nowadays, right. I mean, a lot of people that, right. You know, my daughter was born in 94, so she's 25. Right. So it's like, yeah. it was, you know, it was before they were, born or like you know i mean you know you'll meet somebody that's 35 or whatever and you'll be like oh you're well you said you started working at 19 which is interesting i started working in an architect's office at 19 also i mean mm -hmm. i yeah. worked in an office the entire time that i was in school yeah and yeah and seeing yeah. the practical application of design and learning the theoretical application of design was terrifying <laughs> <laughs> Because there was such a disconnect. I could yeah, not believe yeah. the disconnect. So I was yeah. driven to, um, to take uh, economics, mm -hmm. microeconomics, macroeconomics, yeah, yeah. the mathematics of optimizing systems, mm -hmm. statistics, things like that. I mean, I, I was driven to do that because I couldn't imagine not understanding these things yeah, and, and yeah. taking money from people to design buildings. You know? Yeah. It just. Yeah. 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 So it it drove me from the, the from early on. But yeah, ninth I started at nineteen. Mm -hmm. um, and after my first uh, year of school, and mm -hmm. I worked every summer after that. And yeah. then while I was going to Pratt, I had all of my classes compressed into three days, mm -hmm. so that I could work the other three days. Yeah. So I was taking yeah. a full load of classes. Yeah. Including design studio. Mm -hmm. And working three days a week. Uh, and and going to school the other three days yeah and i did yeah. that for three and a half years and when i graduated with my bachelor's degree mm -hmm. i had already knocked almost two years off my internship yeah because i had, had so much time in the office so yeah. um i was licensed rather quickly which mm -hmm. to me was great because that's all i ever wanted to be as soon as i was mm -hmm. able to um I hung my shingle out. I started at, uh, I was 27. When I oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Then I started at 29. Yeah. So, um, uh, so let's, let's just kind of um, wrap it up with kind of some things that you, you did a blog about different things that we can do during um, COVID. I saw, you know, the, yes. um, with the doorknobs, I think was number yeah. one, but if you could kind of, <laughs> Yeah. If you I, could kind I, of go, because you're, you're in New Jersey, so you, yes. you know, it was, I'm sure that you, you felt it, um, you know, I, you felt the, the, um, the virus there. Oh, and, sure. And, um, yeah. So, well, my point in writing that, and I, I don't do a lot of blogging for myself. I'm a co-chairman of the Public Awareness Committee for AI New Jersey. So a lot of the blogging that I do is really more for the AIA and the, and mm -hmm. the state membership. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and that the original idea behind that blog post was for other architectural firms to adapt it to their own particular circumstances, send it out to their clients. The, yes. the point is yeah. to kind of 
you know, teach them a little bit. I mean, entertain them and the kids, you know, during the pandemic while they're shut yeah, in. Yeah, but at the yeah. same time, teach them a little bit about what architects actually think about mm-hmm. when they design spaces and design buildings for them. You know, it's like, you know, the door, I want to make them aware of the doorknobs so that they would remember to go back and clean them all. So uh-huh. if, you, yeah, if absolutely. I make you count them, yes, then you're yes. going to, you're going to be aware of them. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's the point of contact with the building. As architects, people don't go, you know, people don't fly up in the air and hug dormers, except for me, you know. But, um, you know, they they come in contact with the front door. They touch the door handles. I mean, that's where they make contact. They don't go touching all the walls. So I wanted to make them aware of that. And then a couple of other things, you know, building a couch cushion fort, you know, about searching for materials within the house. Uh The sensory... Uh, experience of being in interior spaces and what architects do as we do that was really the, the purpose mm-hmm. of that yeah yeah um, it got a lot of good feedback i mean a lot of people were really thought it was uh, amusing as well as informative oh so yeah like, yeah yeah and i'm gonna post it in my blog oh very good yeah. thank you yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so are there any other um uh, things that maybe people can do to their spaces. This one's going to be, I'm going to write about also about the importance of having a good bed. Yeah. When anybody's going through, I know that when um, a few years ago, when I, uh, after my husband had his stroke, I just, you know, I was spending a lot of time overnight in the hospital and I just like, I like loved being able to go home after, you know, a few days, like sleeping in the hospital for any of these times and and just being able to sleep in a bed that had you know so it's like I bought new bed linens it was all coordinated I have a ton of I have like 10 pillows on my bed now (laughs) but but it just being kind of like my um my bedroom being uh my sanctuary and my quiet place even though I you know I still work stuff in there but you know it just being like a very relaxing place in order to um you know, to really like wind down and be like a refuge as far as the, the bedroom is. And, well, and rest uh, is meant to be restorative. And uh, it, in order to be restored, you have to allow yourself to be comfortable. And mm-hmm. that is a big part of that, especially, you know, when you're young, it's not such a big deal. You can sleep on the floor and you're fine. But you know, when you're older, if you don't have the right bed and the right mattress uh, firmness, you're not going to be comfortable. You're not going to get the restorative sleep that you need in order to fully function, function at your greatest capacity the following day. Yes. And every once in a while, we, we have a, a night that we don't sleep well, mm-hmm. you know, too much caffeine, you know, too much whatever it is. And um, you drag in the whole next day. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I know that when I was younger with the kids, you know, it's like I was staying, you know, it's like I was, I was, um, you know, I was staying up to two o'clock in the morning. I'll still do that now. I, yeah. you know, I, I will stay up until if I don't get the work done, you know, in, in the other day, I will be like staying up late. But, oh, you like the night owl. Yes, I am. I am a total, yeah, I am a total night owl. I don't I'm know, the opposite. I, no, most, most men that I know do get up early in the morning. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the but thing. I, I mean, do, if I've got, if yeah. I've got project deadlines, I come home at five o'clock. Uh, we have dinner and I go to bed. Yes. And I get up. And then you get up 11 super p.m. Early. or midnight. And yeah. And I work through the night. Yeah. Yeah. And I am much, much more productive doing that than I am trying to overtire myself. Mm-hmm. I work 
late into yeah. the yeah, but you wake up early. I'll like wake up a little bit later and then like work, work. Well, everybody's stuff. different. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I just think that that's important. And then just, um, you know, as far as the, the, um, we, we've always had dinner together, you know, as a family and then even, you know, um, and I just think that's always been important. And even, you know, when my that husband was important. coming home at seven o'clock at night, you know, some people were saying like, well, my husband comes home late at night. So I don't know. I said, you know what? We always had dinner. I said, I would say like, okay, you have to be home by like, we're only going to wait until seven, you know, and then we'll, we would eat at seven, you know, even if he like had a deadline or something that was later, but we would, you know, we would still always eat as a family. And, you know, my kids are like, they're amazed at how many people they know that don't eat dinner as a family. And that was kind of like when I've been looking at the different, um, you know, social media posts and things about people yeah. like saying like, oh yeah, we're, we're home to eat at, at dinner, you know, because they're, you know, a lot of people's lives are like so busy, you know, getting the kids from like place to place. And, you know, it's like, I just, I think that probably people are, you know, they're so physically and emotionally exhausted, you know, they have, they don't have time to, you know, to put a good meal on the table and, you know, and kind of, so we're kind of, uh, you know, doing these traditions apart, you know, so that's like one of the things that I see a lot on the posts, like, oh, we're, we're eating dinner as a family, you know, where they were eating dinner as a family. And there's really something to be said for like, you know, setting the table, sitting down, you know, there's no social media, typically when, you know, when I've, I've always said, like, there's no social media at the table when we eat dinner, you know, and then even, you know, even if, if, you know, I mean, the kids that are older that, you know, that are out of the house and then come home, I mean, it's nice to eat dinner with all of them, but if they do want to eat separately, you know, it's like you, you, you know, it's like, I'm not totally rigorous. Some people are like, oh my gosh, you know, you're, you're a horrible person or something because you want to, I said, no, I don't make them. I don't make them. So the thing is, is that they want to sit down. I mean, this is like a tradition that we have in our family to like always sit down at the table. Right. You don't want to be a dinner dictator. Yeah, I don't want to be a dinner dictator. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's something that I grew up with you know, even it's like when we were all, when, even when we were older and, you know, we'd go back to that, we would always sit down and eat dinner, you know, at the, at the, at the dining table. So it's like the dining, you know, the dining table, the dining room is always, you know, it's not about, you know, sitting on the couch in front of the television. It should be about, you know, the, not that you have to be together all the time, but it's, it's those right. kind of traditions, family traditions. And that, and that, you know, really, I mean, in some of the, you know, when people talk about um, what is the, the only thing that they've been able to find that is, that is, um, that is inherent in, in having uh, connected relationships and successful children in parenting is sitting at the dining table and eating dinner every every night that's the mm -hmm. only thing that yeah that's the only thing that they've been able to connect with all of these different um successful relationships and and successful parenting and successful uh children um parent relationships so i don't i don't yeah, know my wife and i talked a lot about this when my girls were were younger i mean when mm -hmm. we were babies we said well, you know we want to do we want to have regular family meal time I yeah. mean, and this is part of one of the you know, nice things about having your own firm because you mm -hmm. can kind of can set your own schedule. Yeah. When my daughters are growing up, their entire 
educational lives before they left to go to college, we ate breakfast together every day mm -hmm. and we had dinner together almost every day. Sometimes I had meetings and interfere. Yeah. But a lot yeah. of times I could come home for dinner and then go to the meetings after. Yeah. So yeah. we made a point of doing that as we raised them over their entire lives. And it, mm -hmm. I think it made a difference. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it definitely does. Yeah. Yeah. So anything else that you'd like to say? I think that it's great what you're doing. I love your blog. I, oh, um, thank you. I, I think that you, you're bringing to light a lot of important issues. And uh, I keep going, keep doing it. I, oh, I keep trying to encourage you. all of my colleagues, wherever they may be. And now, because of social media and my involvement with the public awareness, I now have friends like you all over the country. I don't, you know? And and we've actually met. We met. I know, in yeah, yeah. We've yeah, actually met. I've actually met a lot of people. Um, I know. For the first no, that time. That was great. And then I, yeah. I don't I've been like slower. I was slower with, oh gosh, I was just like slower in the fall. And, then, and now I'm going to be publishing like, you know, I'm publishing the one with Jeff today and then I'll publish yours in a couple of days and then another okay. one for those. Yeah. Yeah. So just to try to, you know, get it, get it out there and get everybody's, you know, get, I mean, I think, you know, I think being positive and being, um, you know, talking to people that have been through, you know, recess recessions before and, you know, other life experience before I think is going to be, you know, I think, I think it's a good thing to, to have out there for people to listen. It, it, it is, and it, it, helps, it helps to educate and help the younger architects that are coming up behind us. And I mean, I thought it was hard when we went through it. You know, now now they're coming up behind us. So yeah. I yeah. try to reach out and mentor as many of them as I can. Mm -hmm. My you know my proverbial electronic door is always open mm -hmm. for questions, and you know I'm happy to give you my two cents. I'm not always right, but I'll give you my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we also need to, to do this blogging, this communication. Uh, it connects us with our clients, and it helps to educate yes. the public. And we yes. need to educate the public because even now they still don't really understand how we mm -hmm. fit it in. I said before that I've been very fortunate. I have a lot of uh, clients that, uh, that understand why they need me. Uh -huh. And sometimes I have people call me, and I said, you know what? You, I can't help you because you don't understand why you need me. So when you understand why you need me, call me back. And they always laugh because that's they think great. I'm, no, that's, that's great. funny. No, that's great. But it's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, you know, through the social media, through the, the blogging and, and through these uh, uh, new media forms of communication, mm -hmm. we can reach the public directly uh, like never before. I mean, mm -hmm. it used to be with old media, you had to get your name published in an article and, you know, and I love journalists. Journalists are wonderful. I, I talk with them all the time, but Sometimes you tell them something, and when they go to print it, it's completely the opposite of what you were saying. Yeah, and, you yeah. Know, it's like a game yeah. of telephone. And I don't blame yeah. them. There's a lot of things that they have to do, and there's editorial control and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But being able to take our message as architects, mm -hmm. you know, through blogs like yours and the other blogs that that uh, that are out there, it, that's very powerful. So mm -hmm. we can reach people. And, and entertain people and explain to them what it is that we do. I was, mm -hmm. was talking to somebody yesterday and I said, you know, we, we have, um, you know, you go, you turn on the TV every night and there's cop shows and there's lawyer shows and there's doctor shows. Okay. There's no architect shows. <laughs> and HGTV doesn't count because they don't yeah. want architects on there. They don't. 
They don't want architects. I know that's that's but, kind of funny. I don't understand why they don't. I don't. I don't understand. I don't understand. Because I, I, I probably shouldn't say. It. You know what? I'm not going to say. Okay. It. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, you and I'll have a conversation in a day or so. Okay. And I'll, I'll I'll tell you what I was going to say. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Okay. Because I know the reason why. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I guess, you know, just you know, keep doing. I'm a great admirer of yours. I think. Oh, thank great. you. And okay. um, please keep going. And, okay. uh, you know, every once in a while, I'm happy to come back on and talk about. Okay. Okay. No, I will. I will. Yeah. There's like so many people that I said that I was going to, and then like, I haven't. And so I'm like, okay, let's try to get the people that I, you know, that I, I had kind of promised before, you know, like, like Rosa Chang, she's supposed to do, but she's like so busy all the time that I've, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm a great admirer of her and she's she's taken this up like a crusade mm -hmm. you know, to, to, to push equity into the profession. Yeah. And it, it needs yeah. it needs somebody to push it in because it just doesn't happen on its own. Yeah. So yeah. you know, I completely support everything that yeah. Rosa yeah. Is, is doing and has been doing. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. just you know, she's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well thanks. I'm gonna I'm gonna just hit the stuff for the record and then and then we can talk after. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Bill.